Ivy and the CIA, an interview with Mike Fritz. Welcome, everybody. We have with us Mike. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. My name is Mike, last name Fritz. Um, I am a retired police officer. I serve my country, serve my community. Uh, now I am just kind of running my own business and really starting over in life because a lot of officers, once they retire, they have nothing to do. And, and you know, that leads to a lot of destruction in their lives and a lot of problems with PTSD. So that's something that I've dealt with and that I've grown through and that has helped me, you know, starting another chapter in my life, another business, staying focused on the things that I really loved and enjoyed. That's what helped me get over that hurdle of not feeling um, necessary, you know, because a lot of times police officers, when you're out there and you're doing your thing, you feel like a necessary part of society. And when you lose that, you lose that brotherhood and you lose that respect that when someone sees you in uniform or they see you, you know, driving your car, they slow down or, you know, it's just like you're a normal person now. And a lot of guys have an extreme difficulty adjusting and, and becoming a civilian. So I think that a lot of times is when, when we get to that part in our life where we don't know how to, you know, change over to, to being a normal human. Because we see things that aren't normal. Let's just face it. That's that's life in the in uniform. But it's it's a process. And if you don't have a plan, then you can't process. Guys, girls, anybody, military, police. When you do your time, you have to have a plan after that, so you can process yourself and be a better person. Because you carry that luggage with you. of everything that you've seen and done. And, you know, so what I've done is, you know, I stuck with boxing. I, I had been boxing since I've been an amateur, since I was eight years old. And I just carried it through my police career. And after my career, I just stuck with it. And because it was an outlet for me. And, uh, you know, that's just a little bit about me right now is I, I finally starting to adjust to being Mike instead of Officer Mike or officer Fritz or, you know, Mike, the cop or, Hey Sarge, or, you know, you get used to that type of life. You know, you walk into a bank, people respect you, you know, you stop and eat nine times out of 10, someone pays for your meal. Um, you carry a gun and a badge. So you kind of feel not above the law, but you feel that you're prestigious, that you, that you matter. And when you lose that, it's a devastating blow for a lot of people. And, Learning how to get through that, that's where the true challenge is. Hi, my name is Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm going to get to know you uh, during the course of this conversation along with our audience. And I like it that way because um, I don't want to spend all this time researching and then feeling like I need to find the question that no one's ever asked you. I like to literally uh, you know, treat you as anybody because the real reason we do this podcast is to give our audience access to people they may have never come across in real life. Because what we know to be true is that uh, the more people they get to hear their story, hear them answer these similar questions, is uh, they may be connecting with you how they've never connected with someone else before. They may hear something in your story that goes, that's like me, or right, like he understands me, he gets it. And then you say something and they may have heard it for the fifth time or the 10th time, but, but because it comes out of your mouth, it means something different and they take a new action because the overarching principle is we want to help people live their best life, right? And um, 
And we do that through these series of interviews and this podcast. So, um, so Mike, tell me about your business. You, you mentioned obviously leaving the force and then starting a business. What business did you start and uh, how is it relevant to the audience that we have here today? Um, I started flipping houses and I started doing handyman work and also building custom furniture boxes, flower boxes, planter boxes, shutters, everything home. You, you know, you think about it, a large portion of society, they, they have a home or, you know, they have, they, they have a structure that they want to beautify, whether they own it or not, you know, just, so I started doing things that I know people would enjoy. So I could wash out a lot of the negativity that, that I had exposed myself to. And now instead of, you know, frustrating people because you're writing them a ticket or, you know, you're taking them to jail. Now you're providing something beautiful for them, something that, that they, they, they love to see. And, um, it, and it brings change. So that's what I do now is, is I take old, ugly things and I make them very beautiful again. And um, I do that for customers, um, for myself. I buy homes and, and fix them up and resell them. And then I'll build, you know, for my clients, I'll build them like a planter box or, you know, something custom specifically for them for allowing me to do their job. So what that does for me is that also provides for me the transitional phase of my life, you know really fixing up who I am as an individual, changing the character, changing the attitude. It's just like changing a color or putting a new, something new in the house. You, you got to do that for yourself as well as a person. So that's why I lean more toward that because I could have went into the private sector and did security and everything. But, you know, I, I was like, no, I have a talent and I, I want to use that to, to now make people happy. Ivy and I are both coaches and in coaching individuals, uh, we always start with this question. And this question is, um, trying to get to the root of maybe there's something in somebody's life that they always wanted to have or pursue, uh, but maybe they thought it was too hard, the probability was too low, or they once tried and gave up on it too quickly. And the question is, if I was a genie and I could grant you a wish, just one wish, what would be that wish? And a couple of rules are you can't wish for more wishes. That's cheating the system. You can't wish to become the wish giver. So then you could just give yourself more wishes. Um, so what would be that wish for you? And we're really trying to understand that. It's like, what's that thing that if we could just boom, give it to you, what would it be? I wish I would have had more time with my children. Okay. So, uh, go a little deeper with that. If you, if we could give you that time with your children, what would that have been different for you? What would have been different in your life because of that? I would just would have had a closer, you know, I would have a closer bond with, with them, uh, policing takes a lot of your time. Uh, you know, you don't get to pick your schedule. You don't get to decide when you're going to work overtime or not. You don't get to decide when you're going to work a, you know, a professional game or, you know, you don't get, you don't get to decide when tragedy happens. You know, it's just one of those type of things that, you know, because what I chose to do with my life, that sacrifice was there. But if I could, alter or change anything, it would be that, you know, despite all of that, when I could have taken the time to spend more time with them than I would have, instead of worrying about, you know, how tired I was, how frustrated I was, how annoyed I was with people, you know, you kind of cocoon and you wrap yourself up in, in your own pity and, and dealing with society and, and you lose a lot of time just being frustrated. 
and you kind of barricade yourself from from the ones you love because you know you don't want to let them see that side of you so i think i would have you know dealt with things a little differently and um, that's my wish that i would have just handled things better maybe seen counselors faster or you know just got through it a little closer with my family instead of distancing myself what are the habits and beliefs that have shaped you to the person you are today? Um, I keep a schedule, you know, I, and, I, and I stick to it. I don't sway from it. I get up 4, 4.15 every morning. I go on my run or I go to the gym. Uh, you know, I stay busy. And, and I make a plan and I tackle that plan each week. Each week, uh, maybe a different plan maybe a different job, you know, maybe I want to work on something specific and I always set up a plan and a course of action and and stick to that. Because when you do struggle with PTSD, you have to stick to some type of a a plan. And when you get off course, that's when you trigger, that's when you melt down. That's when, you know, because everything seems to bombard you. So sticking to something, you know, you get a job, you're like, okay, I want to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to get up and work out and, and write down my plan. And, and I stick to exactly what I write down. What keeps you from staying off course? Like if you, if something wasn't going as you expected, how do you get yourself back in the right frame of mind? You have to be able to adjust, you know, it's just like a fight. You know, if I go into a boxing match with a certain game plan and that game plan doesn't work, I have to adjust myself to be able to adapt and overcome what he's now bringing to me. So sometimes in life, there's really no plan. You just have to be able to adjust uh, like that. It's just like that with policing or, or remodeling a home. I mean, you hit a pipe, it bursts, your whole day could be shot, but you have to now address that. And then once you address that, then you go back to plan. So that's just how I coordinate through things and and how I navigate through issues and problems is I look at it as a period to grow and and learn how to now deal with the, you know, get through the frustration without having an explosion. So to flip the script on you for a second, Mike, um, this, you're not going to like this scenario, but go with it, which is you are sentenced to life in prison and you are now told you get one book for the rest of your time alive. This is the only book you get to keep with you in your cell. What's the book you bring to your cell and why that book? The Bible. For one, it's many books, but it's in one. Um, And in that, I don't particularly believe every aspect of it, but I think that the stories are encouraging. that they can help you get through that time in your life. And you really, once you are locked in that type of um, facility, prison, whatever, you got to live free in your mind at that point, you know, um, even though you may be locked up. And I've seen a lot of guys in jail, uh, given what I used to do. And and that's what they would tell me because I I would communicate with them and talk to them because I want a good rapport with them. And they say, you know, you can lock me in here, but, you can never take away my mind or my thinking or how I view myself as an individual. So I think the Bible um, or, or, you know, Quran or 
anything that you can get spiritual growth, because when they take away your freedom, all you have after that is your spirituality uh, to grow and be free there. That's very true. It, and the change does begin with the mind and how you see yourself. And, and so I agree about the Bible too. It's, it's got a lot of practical stories about a, that you can apply to your life. Speaking of stories, what is a, a failure, one of your biggest failures, and what did you learn from it? My biggest failure, uh, I got to a point, I won National Golden Gloves. I was uh, coming up on uh, National PAL, which is a police tournament. But I was a kid at the time, Just it's a, it's a police-sponsored tournament. But they set it at a national level, so you get national ranking from it. And I was already top five in the country at that time. Uh, boxing and uh, rumor was, you know, some of the guys wasn't, it wasn't that stiff of competition. So I didn't train as hard as what I typically would have. And <laughs> let's just say I didn't finish in the top five <laughs> from that moment. And from there, I learned that uh, it's not how much skill you have, it's how much you apply yourself. And, um, you know, I had all the skill in the world, but I didn't train for the fight. And, and, and I got beat by somebody who wasn't half as skilled as I was because he was conditioned for it. And that's how life is. It's not how great we are at it, but it's how we condition ourselves to go through it. And that is probably my biggest failure as far as me being 100% responsible for it. So other than the boxing, one of my favorite movies, uh, is back to the future. So imagine you had a time machine, you could go back, you could visit your younger self and let's focus on your law enforcement career. So you could go visit the person who uh, starts out and you're going to give them advice, right? You're going to say, Hey, listen, let me tell you something. This advice is going to really impact the rest of your career. What advice would you give yourself and why that advice? Before you get home, turn off that man, turn off the officer and, and transition to Mike because when you're home, you don't want to police your family. You want to love your family and you want to be Mike to them. So I would say that would be the number one thing that I would tell myself is, you know, I had got to a point in my career where I didn't go home in my uniform. I took my uniform off and kept it at the locker. Now I took my firearm and stuff with me, just safety purposes and precautions. But I didn't go home in uniform. And the reason why that is when I walk through that door in the uniform, I still have that mindset. I'm in my armor. I'm in my uniform. I am set apart from everyone else. And when you, whether you know it or not, or you can admit it or not, you still walk in that door with that mentality that that uniform brings out of you. So, I had got to the point where I just, I didn't, I didn't go home in it. And, uh, I always stopped after, you know, duty and I would just take about 15 minutes and breathe, decompress and come back to Mike. And sometimes it was hard. Sometimes I took 30 minutes, but I never walked through that door. Once I made that transition, being a police officer, I wish I knew it. 15 years prior, <laughs> you know, cause it took me quite a while to, to realize that being a cop isn't everything. That's right. It's like learning about, I, I say this, that 
what you do isn't your identity. So even all the good and all the bad you do doesn't define who you are and that you truly get to define it by your beliefs and how you want to show up in life. And it looks like that you've done a lot of work on yourself to become the best version of yourself, which is awesome. So Mike, I'm curious to know who in your life, what people or person in your life have impacted you the most and why? Be quite honest with you, my grandfather, uh, he was uh, also my boxing coach. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the road together, traveling to fights. Um, uh, just really, you know, uh, every single emotional feeling that you could possibly have, you have in that ring. And then you share it together when he's working your corner. He pushes you through training camp. You know, we wasn't just some guys who wanted to box. We were elite boxers. We were top in the nation. You know, we traveled New York, California. It, it, I come out of Cincinnati, which we are very known for our Golden Glove program. And the competition is second to none. I mean, our guys are always going to the Olympics, always becoming world champions. Um, so the pressure was on from day one. It's like, you know, they throw you in the doghouse and you got to mentally be strong because you're going to get that butt whooping <laughs> the very first time you step in the ring. And if you ain't strong mentally, you're, you're not going to make it. But I would say my grandfather for sure, because he, he's just inspired me to be a better me. Even when I wasn't such a great me, he still stuck with me and, and pushed me to the next level. That too speaks a lot about his belief in you and you becoming who you are today. So I'm curious about the PTSD stuff. Mm -hmm. So obviously you've been working on that either through a program or just on your own. I'm curious uh, if you've heard stuff that you want to protect other officers, other people against because you think it's bad advice, right? Like that people are telling you, oh, you know what you should do? You should do this whatever yeah. it is, a book, a program. What is something you could tell people like, hey, run for the hills. That's not really what you should be doing. So what's bad advice you hear related to helping people with PTSD? When dealing with uh, PTSD, a lot of men simply in, in, in our positions as police officers, let's just face the facts. It's, uh, it is a position of authority. When it, anytime you can take somebody's freedom away, that's, that, that's very powerful. Um, and, it, and that's a very powerful thing to trust somebody with. But that's just one of many things you deal with because, you know, locking up somebody is never fun. Like, we don't, you know, wish that upon anybody. We, we, we have to do our job. And not to mention that, you know, you deal with the fatalities, you deal with the domestic violences, you deal with the suicides, the drug overdoses, the you name it, you deal with it. And we are expected to deal with something at a hundred miles per hour. And within 20 minutes, adjust back to 20 miles per hour, pull you over, approach your car calmly. And you can be a total jerk to us, not knowing we just five minutes ago seen a dead child or something, or, you know, answered to a domestic violence where the husband killed himself or his wife and they expect us just to be able to adjust just like that and be just mm, mm, kosher, nothing ever happened. So that's a lot of things that 
happened to us is we are expected to maintain such a high level of dignity and self-control and, you know, show no emotion and, and, and kind of be like the robots of society. And no one gives the um, empathy or sympathy or condolences or any of that when, you know, uh, we have to deal with that on a non, uh, on an everyday basis. It doesn't stop for us. You may have a tragedy that happens for you and then you work through it. Well, we see them every day and at any given moment could be our last moment. We live on edge of, Hey, you know, we're targets now. And uh, that within itself will bring somebody to a, a, a position where they are uh, developing PTSD. And the one thing that I would say run from, is the pride to admit that you have it. Just go get the help. You're not any lesser of a man or woman or police officer or military personnel or, or firefighter or, you know, any of that. Actually, you are bettering yourself because there's going to come a time when you don't do this job anymore. And, that's when all of that stuff begins to show through all those seeds that were planted over your career begin to spring up. And now you're the problem. Now you're the one dealing with the anger issue. Now you're the one drowning yourself in liquor or, or alcohol or, you know, and it's just these people who say they don't need help or, you know, don't, don't do this because it's a sign of weakness. Bull crap. You'll get the help you need. You just talked about what to avoid, which is like the arrogance or the ego or the belief that it's like, I can handle this on my own, or maybe this isn't that big of a problem for me. But has something specifically worked for you? Is there something you'd recommend and go, read this book, go to this program, this is a good person, whatever that is for you? What's worked for you or what would you recommend others pursue from the good side of things? The very thing that worked for me was when I very first could just admit that I needed help. Um, and that took, you know, a lot for me to, to see that. And I wish that I had somebody to have pushed me sooner to get the help while I was still in my career, you know, because we're so dealing with one scenario straight to another, straight to another. We never have time to process the first scenario. When I retired and I left, things begin to bother me that happened 15 years ago in my career that I didn't have the time to pay attention to while I was still in my career because I was constantly dealing with the next problem. So I had no time to navigate through anything. Give yourself the time to empty yourself onto somebody else who is professionally trained to help you navigate through those problems because whether you want to admit it or not, they are going to surface if you don't get the right help. Police have a lot of officers, firefighters, military have some of the biggest anger issues and it comes out explosively. And then they begin to treat the people they love like the people they're enforcing the law on. So it's one of those things that constantly I say monthly, empty yourself out on somebody 
get rid of that. Talk about it. You know, you're not so bad that you don't need help. We all do. Speaking of letting go of things you're processing, say like 15 years ago, and you're holding space for that so you can make peace with yourself. Are you, do you keep track of it in a journal somewhere or do you just in your mind say, okay, this thing surfaced. I thought about it. I dealt with it. I can, I can at peace with myself, move on. Some of the tragedies you just never forget. Um, I remember my first shooting fatality, uh, in Cincinnati, uh, it was a nightclub kid. He was, uh, 19. They were, playing with a gun in the car and the gun went off and shot him. They pulled into the lot screaming for help. We aid and, you know, here this young man is, you know, don't like officers. It's clear, but I had my finger in his wound because it started to take in air and I had to coach him to his last breath. And Watching a 19-year-old boy who, obviously, you know, the stigma, they don't like police officers. But at that time, I had to remove cop and become father. Tell him I love him. The last words I wanted him to hear was, we love you. And it's okay. Sorry. We're trying to help you. Ambulance are on the way. Like, we're still human. There's still a side of us that is very human. And society within itself doesn't want to give us that leadway because they have a certain expectation, an unrealistic expectation of us without ever putting that expectation on themselves. You know, uh, I tell people all the time, a lot of these police shootings or fatalities, I know people on the street would kill people for a lot less. And it's never even, no one ever blinks an eye to it. So it's, it's one of those things where that instant put me in a, in a frame of mind that everybody at their last breath needs somebody to, to be there for them, you know. And it was me that time. I held him in my arms. I had one finger in his wound and one, another arm around him. And... I watched him take his last breath and that was just one of many, but that was my first. So I, that one sticks out, you know, obviously. And the fact that he was so young, it was almost like, uh, he, he didn't have a chance in the world. And then, you know, when we swept the car for investigative purposes, the guy that was supposed to be his friend was more worried about the phone in the car than the life that had just been taken because that phone had evidence on it. So that life was not valued. That's perspective and very sobering. Uh, you've seen a lot of, I don't even know how to say this. Just most of the, most normal people haven't experienced the amount of tragedy, pain, extreme violence, extreme anything but when you had this moment with that 19-year-old kid, it's like you got in touch with your human self with the, this, I'm not a cop. I, get, I take that hat off and I'm going to be just somebody who's going to be by your side till your very last breath. 
and you gave him dignity and you saw him for who he was. And that forever will be appreciated, even though he can't thank you on this side of eternity. And in their car, there was plenty of uh, things that were criminal, <laughs> but it wasn't, that wasn't important at the time. What was important at the time was at least providing this young man with some sort of peace before he, you know, lost his life. And unfortunately, uh, it was a so-called friend who cared more about a cell phone than he did the life that he just took. So that can put perspective out there for anybody. It's, um, it's very easy to quarterback from the couch. Tell us what we should have, could have, and would have done. Go on out there and do it yourself. See how, see how good you can do it. What advice would you give to our audience about living your best life, about showing up for yourself? The best advice I would give you is be your own judge. Don't judge anyone else but yourself. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all accountable for us. Our opinions, our thoughts, our how are we view somebody. At the end of the day, what does that change if you don't change yourself? Look in the mirror. That's the person who has most problems. But because it makes you feel better to focus on other problems and other people's problems, you will ignore your own. I totally agree, Mike. I, I always like to remind people that when you're on a plane, they say put your oxygen mask on first, right? Because you can't help others until you've helped yourself, right? So um, great advice. I can think of many reasons people might want to reach out to you. One, they may want to connect with a person who had the same career as them if they were also a fellow officer. Um, also, people who may be struggling with PTSD from whatever background or experience they have may, may just want to have a conversation with you or you make me point them in the right direction. Then also um, with your business and be able to build them something or work with them on a home project or something like that. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Is there a website? Should they email you? Should they text you? What's the best way for you to like people to reach out if they're interested in connecting? They can just um, email me at my email address, which is Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y, Fritz, F-R-I, Tom, Tom, Sam, 79 at gmail.com. Anybody who's struggling with PTSD, please, please reach out and, and I will gladly help you. Thank you so much. This was so wonderful to have you on our podcast. We appreciate your time and what you shared with us. To learn more about Ivy and the CIA, go to ivyandthecia.com. To learn more about Dan Crum, go to dancrum.com.